The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Hope you're taking care of yourself, being kind to yourself and each other. In today's episode, Louise and I chat with the incredible Layla Josephine. Layla is a poet, film writer, theatre maker, a performer, just all round incredible, amazing human being. Um, we have a great chat about uh, Layla's training, <laughs> power dynamics. You'll know why I'm laughing when you listen to the episode. Uh, the yeah, power structures within organisations. Um, we chat what we would do if we had a lot of money. Um, and we also just discuss art and, you know, that big question that we ask ourselves all the time, you know, uh, do you have to suffer to make great art? And uh, I think the answer that we all know to be true is, no, you absolutely do not. Remember to like, download, subscribe and comment. Please review every episode. It really does make a huge difference to those algorithms and gets our amazing guests heard by as many people as possible. You can also become a persistent pal or a nasty hero and help keep persistent and nasty going. And link to how you can do that is in today's show notes. And to those of you who have and continue to do so, oh my goodness, thank you, thank you, thank you. You really are helping us more than you know. The next uh, coffee morning will be the 21st of April at the Tron Theatre in Glasgow at 11am. Again, you can find details to get your ticket for that in today's show notes as well. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com and you can follow Louise and I on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram and I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. Oh, for today's episode, um, well... Layla does talk about Diet Coke quite a lot. So, you know, if you are a, a fan, then please feel free and indulge. Uh, it was actually really warm where we were sitting in uh, Louise's studio. So, you know, maybe a nice um, glass of water with a little bit of lemon in it. Or, hey, you could be really bougie and put a bit of cucumber in there. Um, or maybe some sparkling elderflower or a beer. Oh, nice glass of rosé. I'm saying that just because I can't drink white wine. Nobody needs to uh, witness me be uh, let loose on white wine. Um... And it is kind of coming into spring, so it feels feels nice. Maybe a little rosy. Coffee, or you know, you can just always have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. <laughs> Layla Josephine, sense. welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Sorry, Podcast. Just you. All right. <laughs> 
We're off to a great start, folks. I think that's going to sum up what's just about to happen. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm so freaking excited. Also, you're using our first time using our new equipment, so it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. As we're uh, in Louise's. We're in the studio, studio, but without any of the equipment that comes with the studio. (laughs) (laughs) That's for safety reasons. For safety. What safety? Because Chris isn't here. Oh, right. (laughs) And Louise doesn't know how to work it. How would Chris feel about us having coffees and teas in here? Uh, Well, since I work in here three days out of the week, he just has to deal. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like people like... Well, actually, I don't care. I don't know why I was about to say that I worry about it. I don't. But I feel like Chris would. Um, (laughs) I feel like I should because I'm really clumsy. (laughs) Don't put ideas in his head, Layla. Chris is going to be listening to this like, that's it. They're not getting fucking back in there again. (laughs) Does Chris listen to it? That's a good test of the relationship. Actually, I don't think he does. It's probably like, I can't listen to it. There's a buzz constantly. Yeah, (laughs) we're not noticing totally. (laughs) Yeah, it would just make his temple twitch. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Leila Josephine, welcome. Thank you for having me. So Very excited. excited. <laughs> Hi. Um, so Leila, you know, if people don't know who you are, first of all, how dare they? Um, poet, writer, filmmaker. Yeah. Performer. Yeah. I mean, we're having to move some curtains here, people, because it's actually oh, no, I like sunny. The sun. Is that to you? I no, I love it. Okay. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't hide it. God damn! There's, no, I'm just a basket. I can actually move out the way, but what I'm doing is covering my face so I can still sit in it. Perfect. Yeah. You um, bask like a lizard, my friend. You do yeah. it. Oh, I love it. I like. I'm the kind of person that will never wear SPF. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like I have a skin care routine, but like SPF is not on it. Like, I <laughs> I am happy to get wrinkly if it means that I get some sunshine. Excellent. Um, for everybody else on a medical um, note, we do suggest SPF. We do suggest. <laughs> That you wear sun lotion, please. <laughs> the cavemen never had it. This is so true. But they did have an ozone layer, though. Yeah. We have an ozone layer. It's just got a massive <laughs> fucking a hole in it. Do you know what? The the planet is going to catch fire before I get skin cancer. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then my skin will be fucked anyway. You It'll live be your like best Pompeii. life. <laughs> you live your best short life. Also, freckles are in, baby. Freckles, freckles are, are in. in. So, so anyway, yeah. So yes, th- that is my title. Those are the things that I I spend my time doing. Yeah, I'm I'm quite uh, flaky and all over the place, which is why I think I do a bit of everything in terms of making. I know we've like had two more conversations since <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm circling okay, I'm back. Good, good. Well, we can, we should circle back yeah, for listeners who maybe don't know who you are. Oh, yeah. Like you said, Elaine, how dare they? <laughs> um, maybe we should get a bit of a potted history of you. How you yeah. started. So I was born in 1991. <laughs> uh, no, I, so I loved, we were just talking about him actually. I loved um, Youth Theatre where I was taught by Johnny McKnight and I think he's probably been one of my biggest influences. Um, he used to make us do aerobics at the start of every <laughs> Saturday morning class and that's not what you want to do when you're a 15-year-old teenager that had been out in the tear the night before. Sounds um, like he was just doing that for, for a laugh. Yeah, Definitely. I think he was. He loved it. He used to do that thing, you know, when you hold your arms out and you have to, like, do the little circles, <gasps> but you do it, like, for ages. Um, I think it was his chance to get a workout for himself and get paid <laughs> for it. So, um, but, yeah, so that's kind of, your theatre is where everything kind of started and then um, did the CPP course, which is the Contemporary Performance Practice course at the RCS, the cult, as I <laughs> like to call it. 
it, um, which ended up being a fucking a disaster. Um, I, but I did learn loads from it. But like, it's obviously very controversial if you're in the Scottish uh, theatre network. Yeah. Um, and I was in the cult, and I would truly believed in the cult uh, until it all fell apart. Um, I mean, I want to talk more about the cult, but we'll continue. Yeah, we'll, I can talk about we'll the cult for sure. But yeah, I, I actually left school early to go. So I left in fifth year. Um, so I was very young on the course. Um, I didn't have a clue what I was doing for the first three years. I think I was just rattling around <laughs> trying to get through. And then my last two years, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I was like, oh, patch this. I'm going to work in a bar for a year. I had a great time. Um, really worked on my social skills <laughs> um, and then I went abroad and lived abroad for two years and then I came back and I was like right let's make some shows because um, I love it and I made my first show Hopeless um, did a friend run did a tour and then I made Daddy Drag a couple of years later um, but as I, oh, I forgot I forgot that that's my theatre theatre stuff but then when I first left uni, I started doing like spoken word and poetry um, just as a way of like coping with some stuff that had happened in my life. My dad had died. Uh, I'd had an abortion and like I just started writing to try and like work through that. And then some uh, Sam Small and Deep was like, oh, you should come down and do some of it. And I was like, oh, I don't think it's really poetry. It's just writing. And he was like, oh, you should come and do it anyway. And I did it and I started doing that more regularly. And what I loved about it, it was like so instant. I could write something and then it was made. And I think with theatre and film, it like takes so long to get anything off its feet. There was like a real urgency that I loved about, you know, doing spoken word. And um, I could write something just before I went and then I could perform it because I love attention and if I can get there faster. <laughs> That's the key. Um, and yeah, so then I, yeah, and then I won like a slam at the Royal Albert Hall, the f like first slam I competed in and it was like a big, really big deal. And then that just kind of catapulted me into this world of spoken word. And it's been a really interesting uh, career so far. Um, and I mostly feel like actually things come like, like I never felt like I chose that that always felt like something fell in my lap and I just kind of ran with it and then that happened with film as well and so I've been kind of developing in film for the last well, I mean it's probably been like five six years now but um I've only just made a short so that's how slow things happen in mm. film but I do love that and that's kind of where my attention is now and I brought out a poetry book last year um so yeah that's kind of me I think just a few things just a, just few. a few things <laughs> just yeah a few. I mean, I want to talk about the cult. <laughs> I know, I was looking at you, she's looking over me going just like... the gossip, yeah. straight to the gossip. <laughs> like, you've done all these amazing things, but let's talk let's, gossip. Let's I mean, gossip. I want to talk about all the amazing things, obviously. Mm. And then Cult was fundamental to all those amazing things, mm. though, you know? Uh, I mean, it taught, like, it... It taught me so well. I mean, I don't know how much you want me to explain what happened. Cause well, how much, whatever you feel comfortable, comfortable with but I'm, yeah. I'm interested in why you refer to it as the cult well it worked the structure of it works exactly like a cult right um it's a group of people that come together that spend time doing hobbies i suppose or like practicing some sort of um some sort of we practice what would you call it well, we were making art um but it was a very specific way type of 
way to make the art um, and it's all about digging through trauma and um, you, working autobiographically and basing your work on your life experiences or your identity in some way and I think that the person Debbie who was running the the course had some amazing ideas about what you know she she was very inspiring a very powerful woman um, but her ideas were so set in stone that there was no flexibility and actually it became really unsafe mm-hmm. and I think that that's the thing about power is that if you have so much power you're and you have it for so long and no one's checking up on you then that's when things become um dangerous and also the the thing is that the, the tutors on the course were also had been taught by her like I had come from the youth theater and the youth theater all the tutors had been taught by her so I had been in this like wheel of like this is how you make work from I was six years old which is if you think about it like really intense mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know it wasn't until I did daddy drag where I was I made a show about my dad I got my mum to narrate it I was telling all his secrets luckily he was dead so he didn't mind <laughs> but you know I minded and my mum minded and my family minded and but I was like but it's for the work it's for the work and I made myself so sick and then that was the time that Debbie got fired and you know all this stuff came out about you know all this bullying and mistreatment and 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 that was something that we all knew we mm-hmm. all knew about it. it but it was so it was it was such a like um it was such a mirage that it was actually very hard to see it um, because you had invested so much in it. It was hard to believe that this thing could be wrong or not the only option. And I think I was so young when I was partaking in it that I was just trying to get by. And and I think that that's really dangerous when you're making art about yourself. There's no safeguarding, no mental health support. Like the amount of people that I know that have done the course that have like chronic pain, chronic illnesses, chronic mental health issues. Like you were looking for validation, not only on your artwork and your self-worth from what you were making, but also on your own like trauma. And like, that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean crazy in like all terms. Like it, yeah. it's, it, it makes you, it makes, it's not a sensible way to live. Like, and I think that that's one of the things that I've learned most about life is that you can't attach your self-worth to your art because actually it's really, really dangerous because it's not always going to go well because that's not the nature of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think one of the things that was like the biggest flag for me when I actually sat back and thought about it all hard and had some really difficult conversations with people was that, you know, our course, when we started, we had a group of 16 people, students that started. By the end of it, we had eight. And the eight people we had were the straight, white, local, uh, non-disabled people. And you're just like, oh, like, like actually, like, what is that about? Mm. You know, and I don't think we actually realised that until, like, like it all kind of came apart and we had to really look, we had to look at ourselves because the thing is, is that when you're a part of a cult, you are engaging the cult because there's this favoritism where you're, you know, you're part of a system that is constantly churning. And I don't blame the tutors either because they're part of the system that's churning. I don't even blame Debbie because actually she's part of an institution as well. And it's like, it just, it just got, somebody should have been checking up on that course and Mm -hmm. nobody checked it. And it was, 
I mean, it was a mess. It was a mess. And it's, it's yeah, I think the Scottish theatre, there's loads of people that are still really suffering from, from what happened in those rooms, for sure. Yeah, I know a few of them and had similar conversations with them and having been in that building as a staff member and um, just seeing it sort of from a, out on the periphery, I'm relieved that that's been changed, that there's been an overhaul there because, yeah, the people are still kind of... And some and from the conversations that I had, like it feels like they're just coming to terms with what happened. It's like, mm. oh, God, that put me through the ringer and now I'm dealing with the consequences because the healing starts now. And, and I just... It's just... There's something so dangerous. I think one of the most dangerous things we encounter as artists in this industry is anyone who subscribes to the idea that you have to tear yourself apart in service of your art. Like mm. it's just, I just don't, I just don't subscribe to it anymore. Whether whatever discipline, whether it's writing, acting, you know, and, you know, acting courses. There's so much of this. I'm going to break you down to build you back up again yeah. and mine your trauma. And like, mm. I had an acting tutor who did that to me, just like broke me to the point of like I was just in sobbing bits in front of the class and he was like great there it is and I was like no this is I'm not acting this what, is me what do you mean there it is this is just me broken in need of therapy now like I'm not acting this yeah, is genuine trauma left you for like, the rest of the day so yeah, you're, you're left with all of that and, and there's just no support like, that's not art mm. that's just damaging people <laughs> totally but yeah yeah I, I totally agree with that and I and it's it's really it's really hard because there are aspects of like what I learned there that you know are totally fundamental to my practice and have made me the person that I am and I've met some of my closest friends that are my family and like well that's the fucking cult talking isn't it it's my family <laughs> um, but you know like if there was things about it that were amazing like there was tutors on that course like you know some of the stuff that we did was incredible that some of the organisations we worked with like uh, you know like getting to work in a prison like all of this stuff like things that we were exposed to shows that we saw like all of that stuff like it was so amazing and I, and I wouldn't take back any of it um, but I do wonder like what it, well, I, who I could have been if I had done something else or like mm. what I could have achieved like there was things like you know we never we were never taught like how to perform you know or like we were never taught how to write or we, you know all these things that I'm like oh like I would have really really thrived doing that kind of stuff um but I also yeah I, I got so much from it so and, and I think that that's hard about cults right is because mm. there's always something worth being in the cult for <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. how cults work yeah yeah <laughs> whether it's orgies mm. or yeah. getting to see cool shows <laughs> 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 or a sense of purpose you know yeah. <laughs> I love that sense of purpose was yeah. third <laughs> I know yeah, orgies, orgies first. first orgies first there was a real do you know for as a much people were naked on that course all the time performing there was a real lack of orgies i must say <laughs> for being like a cult there was a lack of yeah. group sex which i do feel sad about um, have earned a bit of a refund on your tuition <laughs> I didn't pay in that for regard it. thank god i didn't pay for that well yeah um paid for it in therapy actually to be fair <laughs> okay i feel like i've said a lot but i think it's fine like i think everyone that was involved in it has the same 
feelings like we all have that knowing look at like oh how you doing since the cult like since the cult i mean the institution knows as well we're not saying anything here that isn't like widely known now no across the board i mean it was Um, in all the papers yeah exactly um it's all but it's also really important like this is the thing right if we don't talk about these moments in time when a power structure has continued and has abused its position then we just allow that to happen again yeah so if we're not talking about it However uncomfortable it might be for them as an institution to hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tough shit. Yeah. Like really yeah. just like you need you need to hear that. Cause otherwise you that kind of breeding of that behaviour will happen again. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think institutions at large are at we're at a weird point in the culture, mm. I think, because I think younger people are getting more and more vocal and yeah. giving less of a fuck about because there's now been since a couple of other instances, I won't talk about them in detail, where students at, at the institution we were talking about, but other others I've heard through the grapevine in London and stuff like that have just gone, no, no, enough, yeah. enough of this. Mm. And I think institutions have to, they, they're no longer protected, I think, by this um, safety net of silence because, yeah, fortunately, the next generation behind us are getting a lot more gobby which i think is brilliant and that's something i feel bad like i do feel bad that actually the people that brought the whole thing down were of course the the most marginalized people Mm -hmm. and actually like like i do i'm like well why didn't i do it and but it's because i because i felt so i think i i felt like i had very little power when i started i think I had very little part, like I was definitely like at the bottom of the pile within the the class at the start. So then when I started getting the power, I liked that because mm-hmm. that's how favoritism works, right? Yeah, Is that you, you know heavy. the other side that's really scary and horrible, makes you feel worthless. So when you start working into that that thing that they want and then you start getting the power and then you start reinforcing it on other people and like all of this stuff like that's the thing about power is so seductive Mm -hmm. and especially if you've been in a situation where you've not had power before that when you get it you don't want to go back to that place so I think we always talk about like these like figures in our culture or our, our society that are like these evil these evil people that like you know want power and are power hungry and actually like we all have that inside of us I think and like we don't know how we would react if we had a billion pounds or if we you know like all of these things so I think like like who knows like if you had been in that if you had been in that job for 30 years and you'd seen how well your pedagogy had been working and all this stuff who who knows like maybe like I would have done the same thing who like who knows and that's the thing uh, that I'm interested to see where we go forward is because we all hold power and it's like how how do we use it totally and i firmly believe believe with the exception of a few examples nobody wakes up in the morning going oh i'm gonna be a power hungry (laughs) bastard today i can't wait but that's the thing with the tories is like a big thing the big thing about the tories and these like big billionaires or whatever most of them went to boarding school from when they were four so they were ripped off their families they spend their lives feeling completely worthless and they're like told that like money is the only way to feel power and you and it's very very hard to 
have any sympathy for them but you can't I think we have to understand where it comes from we can't just be like these are bad people and we're good people yeah because actually it's way more vague than that and you have to go oh this person even though I don't agree with what they're doing that I can maybe understand how they found themselves in that situation Mm -hmm. and if we can understand it then maybe we can find a way of stopping it earlier on Mm. creating these fucking monsters totally trauma Tory trauma. Well, yeah, they're surrounded by power from such a, a young age as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's a system that has worked for generations. Mm-hmm. Like, literally worked for generations. And it is, and it comes from, you know, that wealth of money in this country that, like, has been sitting for with families for hundreds of years. Mm. And, the, and actually, also, when they don't have money, but they have a title. And that title equals power in a room. So then you see that as a four and a five year old, and that's all you know in your life. Then that's all you're gonna. You, that's all you're gonna then perpetrate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And see if you were sitting on a hundred k job. Imagine. Okay. Oh my god. Would you? Imagine. Would you? Would you want to do stuff for other people? To I think see, you would. Right. I think I, w- I would, but I think I'd be lazier about it. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, like my. I'll inst- do it next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My instinct is to say, absolutely, of course I would. Yeah. Of course I would. But then, if I was getting a hundred k a year, I would be like on more holidays. Absolutely <laughs> on more holidays. Yeah. Uh, you know, weekly massages and all of that. But, but I would, I would want to think that I. I absolutely would continue to do the work that I'm doing and put money into that. Mm. I don't fucking know. Who yeah, knows? I don't know. I may be like, oh, this is absolutely delightful not to have to worry and fight and like, you know, do all of that stuff. So I'm just going to go and like, just be in my little bubble, I'm which is go to yeah. a lot. Yeah, but I think, which is, I think a lot of people want to just do because actually the other stuff's too fucking hard yeah. for them. So if I'm on 100K, 120K, 150K a year, I get to live my life without anything really hitting me and I and that I don't really need to worry about anything else so I don't see it maybe yeah, as clearly yeah, yeah, I think you don't it's, see it. it's, it's the water you yeah. swim in isn't it I, yeah. think, I think that's it like it would be a difference between you getting it handed to you now versus yeah, like yeah, having yeah. spent your whole life yeah. just expecting that and it having yeah. and arriving to you pretty early on i mean i'd be fucked anyway <laughs> like i am ravnitskaya out of the cherry orchard i will have no fucking money and still give people money yeah like i'm like yeah cool like you know our house could be falling down round about us and i'm like you need 50 pounds <laughs> i will give you 50 pounds but i think that's good i think it's good to i think you get that back like i'm a big woo person i think like if you great can we can mine hurry up because <laughs> i'm really needing it <laughs> Playing the lottery. I actually don't play the lottery. (laughs) I bought a lottery. Well, I won. I came second in the pub quiz last night. Yes. So I went into the garage this morning. I bought two scratch cards and I bought the guy behind the counter a scratch card. Nice. Won 35 quid. And then I went back in and bought a lottery ticket. Come on. And then I'm telling you that we're going to the Maldives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I'm, also, I'm if you were on £100,000 a year, right, would would you just spunk at, like, you know, lottery winners win? You know, like, they've won, like, £15 million and they're like, yeah, it's gone in a year. I am. <laughs> I'm really, yeah, like, I think I would probably... Some, yeah. somebody, needs think to, that person. somebody needs to come and take that because I would just be like... Because, A, I would start buying everybody I know stuff that they want yeah, yeah, and yeah. need. And, and you start buying would, more expensive <clears> stuff, uh-huh. right? And then I would start... I would definitely get... I know I would give to people, but I would also want to like 
I'd just, I'd fucking just go on holiday. I'd do, like, I'd be like, oh, cool, I'm going to, I want that. Right, I'm going to buy it. Because yeah. two million house, <laughs> two million pound house. I'm like, oh, my God, one of those houses around in, like, Langside Drive where it's really posh. <laughs> Langside <laughs> Drive, Langside Drive. Well, Langside. That's where you go. You get big bigger. <laughs> you get big bigger than Langside. Big, well, the big houses around at Langside train station. I've, yeah, but do you know you say that though? So but I'm cute. like, I love I'm that like, your, your expectations I know. are like so beautifully managed. I know, but like, I'm like, I want that big house around the corner from me that's like five bedroom, old house. That's but like that's worth, so like, nice that you don't yeah. want anything that much more than what you've got. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that, and I think that that's key, and that's what really rich people forget is that actually the things that I mean. I don't know. I was about to say No, something. do you know what I would just really like to be able to do is like, and this sounds so fucking like, oh my God, Elaine, get a grip of yourself. But I would like, if I had that money, I'd like to be able to just give my sister some money so that she isn't worried about if she's oh. off sick and she can't pay her, her bills or pay my grand's rent in our wee sheltered house so that she doesn't need to worry about that. Yeah. Do yeah. what my pay my dad's bloody because he's got arthritis and he went on with his retirement. He bought a hot tub to help his arthritis. But now the... Um, energy prices oh, are up through the roof. You can't use it, oh, I so that. I would just be like, "Cool, well, there's there's it paid for you." Yeah, yeah, that's the fantasy, isn't it? Like that's why I would like, and you know, like well, my you need to start were, playing the lottery. Yeah, you need to play the lottery. Play the lottery. Or like you know, like Louise wanted to make her film. I would have just gone, "Well, there's seven grand for it right there." Fuck Creative Scotland. I mean, thank you Creative Scotland, <laughs> not for Creative Scotland. <laughs> I, also, you made it. Elaine doesn't speak for me. I'm very grateful. Creative <laughs> Scotland, thanks very much. So but are you not on like 170 percent of your total? Yeah, That's not amazing. 170. I think it's 107. All oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we are into our stretch goal at the moment. But this isn't about me. There's another podcast about that you could listen I know to. It is. It is. That's great. Uh, this though. is about. Thank you. It's about Layla and her We're film actually work. Actually, talking about power dynamics because yeah. obviously your short film Groom yeah. has absolutely got that in it. Let's yeah, chat about that. Yeah, yeah that's a really great uh, segue because actually there was a lot of when Me Too happened, and you know we were all talking about the abusive power from men. I was very much like, oh, well, quite a lot of abuse that I have suffered from has been from women, and it looks very different, I think. And that was something I really wanted to explore with the character of Sky. So this is the short film that I made called Groom. Um, and yeah, like, I think we did quite a good job at it because I think people really don't know how to feel about that character, um, but they recognise her, I think. And I, yeah, I think that we're much more subtle as women about how we abuse our power. Um, mm. And yeah, and but also Hannah mm. in the film as well, she also, you know, there's moments where she takes power back. Um, she like, sorry, it's about a young girl that goes for a work at a nail salon and her boss is quite coercive and manipulative and she has to kind of battle this like hypersexual reality of um, nails and hair and body modification and stuff like that. And she kind of falls in love with the environment and, um, you know, she, there's an opportunity in the film for her to kind of throw somebody else under the bus and she takes it because she can see that she can climb up the ladder from that way. So I was like really interested in like how... Um, seductive power is and how we how we take our power back when we don't feel like we have any um, and and I think that's very I'm a Scorpio so I'm really interested in those flawed women and I and I think I write from self because these are temptations that I have um, and I think that that is 
you know, I, I the course taught me that I should always write from self. But what's great about film and working in fiction is that I'm able to really separate myself from it. So even though I'm like influenced by it, and I'd say there's a little bit of me and all the characters, um, it's not like I'm going in this situation in my life. This is what happened, mm. and I want you to judge it. It's more like, okay, well, how can I take this felt understanding of something I really want to interrogate, but then, um, oh. I just dropped something. It's okay. It's all right. then, it's just the headphones. Oh, that's fine. Um, I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that's what I'm really interested in. And I just keep going back to this idea of power, like within all my work. And that's something that I'm really interested in. And I love flawed women characters because I am a flawed woman character <laughs> living my life. Yeah, we all. Mm. I think it's really important though this idea because you know, I mean, we're persistent and nasty. We sing the praises of all women and we celebrate all women, um, but also there are lots of women that are really fucking shit. Mm. Mm-hmm. And just because you're a woman doesn't automatically mean that you're good, quote unquote, whatever that means, or mm. that you are somehow don't share some of the characteristics that we hate in the patriarchy. Yeah, yeah. Because we absolutely do. Because we all exist in it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's way more internalised. And for others, they're actually quite happy to just wear their patriarchy on their sleeve. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're just humans and humans are fucked up. And humans are not how we are. And that that idea that women, as a woman, you have to be inherently good or something, Mm -hmm. softer or something less complex that's that's another form of misogyny in mm-hmm. a way um 100% yeah but uh could we talk a bit about the process for groom um yeah. like what was the journey how did it, like when did the idea come to you was it originally something else was it going to be theater was it always going to be a film what was its journey so i i did the course for well uh, to, to start off with i did a course at the RCS a short course um in screenwriting and when the tutor laid out all the films we had to watch for the for the the course. There was no women in any of the films, so me being persistent and nasty, put up my fa- my hand like to be like a wee awkward Annie, and I was like, "There's no women in these films," and uh, he was like, "Oh, oh yeah, um, we'll put uh, Thelma and Louise on it," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh god, I'm so annoyed." But actually, that was a moment that I went oh there's space for me like that was the moment I was like ah like and and that was like six years ago so actually that has really changed in the last six years like there hasn't been that many like films made by women like in the last 50 years compared to what there has been in the last six years which Mm -hmm. is kind of amazing so at the time like I was just like oh like there are there are like a real lack of female uh, filmmakers and there's a real lack of Scottish female filmmakers and there's a l- real 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 lack of Scottish women on screen mm-hmm. and that like and as soon as I saw that I was like oh there's space and that and I just I remember sitting and I remember getting uh, and learning in that course and remembering my I remember my brain was going like a million miles per hour and I was like seeing my future like not my future but I was just seeing like um I was just seeing all these ideas and I was like, 
oh this could really go somewhere I just got a really good feeling and then I did write for film which is Convergence now with Short Circuit and I know you've done that um, and then I did I, I did the first round of SFTN with a short um, that didn't get any funding which was a big failure and felt really hard but then I applied again with Groom I had Laura with me um, Laura McBride as a producer and she was really good at pushing things through and really um, really supportive and, and we were chatting a lot about um toxic women and we're also talking a lot about like a bisexual experience as well and how and um, we sometimes when we were like coming to terms with the sexuality we weren't really sure whether you fancied someone or whether you wanted to be someone or whether you were like attracted or you hate them or like you just wanted them to like you and like because that's the thing when it's like a straight relationship you know a straight relationship is all those things anyway but then in like a, a slightly more complicated when it's um uh same gender um relationship in some way so that was something that we really wanted to talk about and then we applied for short circuit uh, and we got we got the money and we made it and but it was really hard like the shoot was a baptism of fire i'd never been on a film set before i fucked up every day we ran over we all fell out like it was just like it was crazy on the first day we thought that everyone had covid so we lost like three hours isolating everyone in our car won't name names somebody was reading the test wrong we'd never seen a lateral flow test before oh uh, and yes but anyway we we're just so delighted we didn't have to pull the shoot but it just meant everything was pushed we were really late getting a DOP so we were like making decisions on the spot so the tension in the film is from our tension like <laughs> it, it was really it was like a really really hard thing and I I see pictures of myself doing it and I'm like I don't look I don't look well like and I know that from every project that I do I'm like I look at the photos I'm like you don't look well <laughs> art does not suit you <laughs> You're like miserable. the film i it was so funny because like when we were editing the film i was like this is garbage i and i genuinely believed i had completely fucked it i was like looking at it i was like this is garbage i was like this is i really fucked this i've wasted this public money and do you know what like at least i tried like i'm gonna go back to fear with the, my tail between my legs and 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 then like we got a couple of things that happened and i was like i couldn't believe that people thought it was good i couldn't believe it somebody said to me they were like oh it's kind of like an episode of river city and i was like yes that's what it's like and then not that there's anything wrong with river city but i was like that and and then what i realized is just because it's a, a scottish woman on screen you go yeah. the only other time i see scottish women on screen is in a domestic setting is in river city but actually what I started to realise is that there were it wasn't like that at all and that actually it had much more complexity but I was so involved in it I couldn't see it and then we got like stuff happened like we got into London Film Festival we got nominated for a Scottish BAFTA Scottish we got nominated BAFTA. for a Critic Circle Award is yeah. even yeah. crazier and none of us knew, like I didn't even know what that was but like when I was like doing the research, I was like, this is wild. How did our film, this film that I genuinely thought was garbage, has made it. And 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 I and I think it didn't do as well in Scotland as it did in England. Mm. It's because we don't like seeing Scottish women on screen. It cringes us out. That's and really interesting. It's really interesting and it's so messed up. Um but I I mean I'm just like, like honestly, the whole time I was like, I can't believe that this is happening. I met Paul Mescal in Florence Pugh and I was like, I cannot believe Grim has got me here. <laughs> this film that I was like, this, I honestly thought it was garbage. 
Kate Blanchett knows who we are. Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. And 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 do you know what? Like if if last year because I released my poetry book and I got to go on tour and like if last year was the highlight of my career, like that's fine. I like I just want to make stuff. I just want to make stuff and like like I got like. I got to do last year some of the stuff that no one will ever do in their life. I'm saying that now because I'm still buzzing off it. Get made five years if I'm not made anything. I'll be like, <laughs> but like just that, just that feeling of like even if you, even if you think what you've made is shit, <laughs> like the fact that you've made something, you don't know where that'll take you. Like you honestly don't. Like if you'd met me just after I made it, I I would have told you that I didn't think I could ever make anything again. I was so ashamed of what I'd done. And that's just crazy. But I think that that's the thing that we don't talk about in artists is mm-hmm. that, uh, when we're making art is that there's this phase of like real vulnerability mm-hmm. and putting yourself in the arena is not easy. And that's why I'd say like, if you're making anything, it is really scary and it's it's really vulnerable. And also you just need to keep making. I don't know what I'm trying to say just now. You no, should I say think, something. No, I get it. No, <laughs> no you're, that's the best advice. I think every artist, I firmly believe this thinks what they're doing is garbage. garbage everything i write everything i do everything i'm like that was that was just shan what am i doing and it's embarrassing yeah it's so it's... embarrassing it, being an artist is embarrassing <laughs> it's already it's a total, it's a ready. total ready like putting yourself out there is already and it's like and it's like we all carry this like sheer embarrassment of putting ourselves out there but actually like it's it's amazing we do anything actually like because because it is like it's soul destroying and i think one of the things i found because of that feeling it takes me forever to get an idea on the page and completion mm. it's such a slow process for me because i have this that deep fear first of mm. all about when because it's that thing of like when i finish it i have to show it to somebody yeah. so i know that's holding me back and just the constant self-editing because I think everything's crap. Yeah, yeah. So it just takes forever. I just wish I had the confidence that some people, a lot of men, it would appear, seem to have mm. where they just bash something out and it's like, you did that and how, what, what right, okay, but fine. The cu- but the culture, we, the, the society that we live in, the <laughs> ca- sorry, the <laughs> capitalist society that we live in doesn't allow space for failure. Yeah. And actually creativity is about failing and Mm -hmm. and it is about sitting down at the page and writing something bad like and I think that that's what we're really bad at as artists and actually as people and as capitalist society we're really bad at being bad at stuff like it's actually really really good to do something new where you're actually terrible at it and you are garbage at it because what that does is it like builds up your resilience Mm -hmm. because actually sometimes it's not just uh, like it's not just talent it's actually persistence and it's actually like keeping to going persistent and nasty but like <laughs> see if you saw like groom was really different groom kind of wrote itself which is a one in a hundred project right mm. when a project comes along and it writes itself and it just feels really easy and it's just done and do you know what there was probably times that it wasn't but it just it at just this time i've that. forgotten about that yeah <laughs> and i'm now in the midst of doing another thing that feels like you know i'm struggling to get off the ground and I just have to remind myself when I'm writing and it's like you don't have to write the correct thing you just have to write something Something. you just have to write something and that something will get you to the next thing and the next thing might take you back to the something that you know wasn't right to then change it and I think that that's the thing it's like we live in this capitalist society where we're always thinking about product 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 what's the product Mm -hmm. what will this thing do for my career for my life and that's because we're all hustling and 
all of that's involved but we don't have time for the process and a key part of the process is being garbage and being shit and writing rubbish stuff and that's that's to do with time it's it's about being able to have the time to fail you know like I, I have the time to fail because do you know what I'll come back and I'll do it again and I'll do it again I'll do it again until it's right but because we're like writing and you know the tiny little frames that we can the tiny little time frames that we can we you know we don't have time to fail we've got to be perfect every time yep. and also our self-confidence doesn't allow us to fail either because especially I think if you've done something good it's really hard to go back to be doing something bad yeah. um and it's just like building that muscle it's building yeah. that muscle of failure and that's something that I always teach in all my writing classes is like it doesn't have to be good it just has to be done like and that's the thing yeah. like something good will come along if you write enough so preach preach there's something really interesting though in the the sense about the time of not being given the time to fail and as artists like talking about feeling like everything that we do is shit and it's a it's already being an artist right but i also wonder if that is again something in our society that doesn't hold any and this is I'm talking generally because obviously this isn't for everyone but we don't really hold artists to a high level we hold celebrities to a high level mm -hmm. but we don't hold the people who are making the art to a high level that are doing the community work to a high level no. um, who are doing the workshops with children who are dealing with the you know whether it's anti-sectarianism anti-racism anti-bullying you know like the list goes on and on and on of the things that people do even like nurses yeah you know it's the doctors that get the credit you absolutely know, like, like that. people that clean the whole the whole hospitals like stuff like that like without cleaners we wouldn't have hospitals and it's like one of my things that i'm just like anyway i'm going to no, <laughs> no it's, all it's all relevant it yeah, really well, is. is it's also that was me about to go on a rant about um thatcher and the fact that you know people talk about her as a feminist and i'm putting that in quotation marks because for some people she may have been a feminist but she was one of the she deliberately and systematically um, took away the role of and privatised the role of cleaners in the NHS when they were initially an NHS employee, which meant that they had a far higher wage because they were in the NHS. I didn't know that. Yeah, and Thatcher took that away and privatised it so that it was then put out to tender to private companies who then paid their uh, their cleaning staff less. Mm. Yeah. And the majority of those cleaners at that time were women. Um my granny being one of them. So it's like... My my granny was a cleaner in DiMaggio's and she used to steal from them all the time. <laughs> Superb. I hope she got some nice pasta and I get better pizza. Yeah, I think so. But that, like, yeah. But yeah, my, but I think my other thing is, is like, and I think this is something that a government needs to do, and I know there's money, money's tight and all of that, but if you don't, if you do not fund your artists, whether that's a living wage so that they can actually fail mm -hmm. because you mentioned you said oh my god i've wasted public money mm. and that really struck me in that but you haven't wasted public money because you gave people a job that's true yeah yeah like you employed people for that length of time yeah. so that was not wasted so even if it was garbage they so, would have got a job yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it's that thing of like so the end result always has to be perfect but we're forgetting about all the stuff in between of the people mm. that are employed the scenery that is then used whether that then gets people to come and visit our country yeah it's like all of it is all put in together and it's i think 
we as artists feel really low down in the pile because we aren't supported by our government. No. And I think maybe if we were supported more vocally, then we might feel better about ourselves and maybe able to feel a little bit more. Well, if you th if you think about like the way that the structure works, like especially for screen, for example, so like for you to make a short in Scotland, you have to apply for a short circuit. If you want to get a funded one from the government, from Screen Scotland, you've got to get into short circuit and then you've got all of a sudden you've got 25,000 pounds to make a short right that is like there there is no allowance for failure there right there is no space for artists to come together and make something with no expectations yes. right and actually that is key for experimenting and for playing and for coming up with anything organic and anything new because you need that space and that's why research and development is obviously so important and that's why I, I do not grudge when people go into a room and ma make something for two weeks and then decide to get rid of it because again it's just a stepping stone on the stage to something else but I think that actually it's all very good getting projects funded but where's the where's the money for playing and getting things wrong it only happens at university right okay. and that's why university and art courses are really good in a way because you're always making and they're obviously flawed I was lucky enough to get it for free being in Scotland all of this kind of stuff but like where is that where does that exist for people that don't want to go to uni or yeah. where does that exist for people that are because it's such a an important part of like creation that actually I just feel like there's no, you can't do anything with no expectations everything has to have a product we live yeah. in, a, in yeah. a world where everything has to be like something has to be shown at the end of it yeah. so yeah. something saleable needs to be made yep 100% and even the small pockets of money that are available that claim that they're just for that they're not really because they're heavily oversubscribed yeah competitive and everybody who applies is doing it with an end goal and a product in mind <sighs> it's just a bit more i can't say anything because i'm like in the pockets yeah it's, it's yes <laughs> see this is what happens when you have power i'm like, i can't critique these I people can't, i can't bite the hand that feeds me and quite rightly so <laughs> I'm in a new coat. Back yeah. off. It's a Call sexy one, but it's a sexy It's a sexy one with ne networking drinks. You don't oh get that God. in the other coat. I know, right? Um, I do love a networking drink. I mean, I do and I don't. I I I, I'll and just I'm take like, anything. Me, if, if there's a free, if there's a free drink, happy days. I think, but the thing drink. is, is it's like th those those things are key, and, and and I think there is too much alcohol involved in them. And the canopies are always too small and fancy. However, those things, what I realised when working in screen are so great because I actually have such a supportive network and friendship with loads of people that work in screen. And I never had that in theatre. I felt out on my own in theatre completely. Whereas with these networking things, even though they feel like they're just like, I don't really know what they're for, but actually th they are for building <laughs> <laughs> it's a connection right I think maybe we should stop soon I'm obviously like not as my Diet Coke is wearing off guys I feel like I figured out that these networking events are for building networks. networks but then but film and is different to my definition show. film is different in that sense of you've got to find distributors and you've got to do all of that so mm. it is different more collaboration yeah, than it is in theatres so I think probably that that is you know the eight the 
the end game with all of yeah. that stuff. But actually, theatre should be taking a leaf out of that book. 100%. That's, it's so vital because also, you know, it's part of the reason why we do the coffee mornings, right? Yeah. Nobody's like making a bit of art from, well, who knows, somebody some, might. Some, some people oh, actually, they have. Some, yeah, people, some have. people have met at the coffee mornings and found a connection and yeah. a and a collaboration came out of that and stepping stone yeah, I mean we're just not just giving you alcohol well apart from the Christmas one <laughs> um, and everybody got absolutely mad with it so we've learned our lesson there <laughs> it was great was there any kissing under mistletoe of people that shouldn't be I kissing? can't tell <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. we don't do that on this podcast we, we don't kiss and tell we don't kiss and tell I'm disappointed in that gals <laughs> when we stopped um, recording yeah um, <laughs> No, actually, I don't think there was. No, I don't uh, think there was, was there? It's because it was the early afternoon. We more drama. Um, I just want to ask uh, about your poetry. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, your poetry book. Yeah. In public, public and private. private. <laughs> You're like, I know it. <laughs> don't like, say it because I know it. <laughs> Leila very kindly sent me a copy of it um, a few beautiful. weeks ago. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And I can't take credit for it being beautiful because I didn't make the cover. But uh, Emily Wilde did and she's done a beautiful job. It is. It is. It's a beautiful book, but the poetry is beautiful. And um, there's so many lovely moving pieces in it. And one is about a funeral. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I read it just after my aunt died and it was probably not the right moment as I was reading it, but it was really gorgeous. Oh, thanks. It was really gorgeous. Like, it really moved me. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, like, I think all poets have a funeral poem, but mine was more about, like, feeling, because the book's called In Public and Private, I'm really interested in that inside world and that outside world and how art can kind of be a gate between those two, two places. And I think, that was also from the cult. Um, <laughs> but also, like, feeling like, you know, at my dad's funeral, like, a big part of it was, you know, feeling very seen mm. and what that means, you know. And I think the last line is, uh, I take my shoes off, my tight sodden with dew as I make my way back to the black hairs the driver in his black hat yawns like he's seen it all before, but I consider it my best performance to date. So this like idea that we are always performing and especially in moments that we feel like the whole, our whole foundations are collapsing, like we are stepping into that performance mode. And that's what I'm really interested in with this idea of, I suppose like performance for me, like, there was never that much of a difference between who I was as a as a person and who I was as in a on stage because I always felt like I was putting some sort of mask on for both of them, and that and that was what I was trying to explore in the book I think as well, and what it meant to, what it meant to tell your secrets on stage because it never really felt like you were telling the truth because you were always saying it in a certain way you know and and that's what the book kind of explores um and I think that that was like a really just to circle back that was a really like difficult decision for me to make because I had had all these realizations about you know wanting to make work that wasn't really vulnerable that wasn't really exposing that wasn't mining my trauma like all of this stuff but at the end of the day like when I write poetry I still do a lot of that 
that stuff but I just feel like way more aware and I'm like there was poems that never made the book because I was like oh I'm not I don't want to do that I don't want to I don't want people to know that about me and um and I think also it being written down is like there's a, a real it's a different boundary from being on stage mm. um and yeah and also you're also like putting it out into the world where it just exists on its own whereas when you're when I was doing like daddy drag or whatever I was very much there and it like experiencing the audience and their emotions back to me whereas with the book it just feels a bit safer I think mm. and I had more t you really have so much time to think about exactly what you're doing and like the editing process is like really allows you to have spend more time protecting yourself um but yeah, like uh, that that poem funerals. It's quite old now, but it, it just goes through so many different edits. You know, it's always always changing. But there's so many beautiful poems in it, and uh, people should get it. Thanks. And I will be linking it in the show notes. Yeah, I want to. I've got like a hundred left, so please buy them because then I can change the typos for the next <laughs> round, <laughs> which there was many. But we're all we're okay with failure. Yeah, okay. Exactly. With failure. I was not okay with <laughs> failure. I honestly uh, was not okay. Like I was like, it, it's like a hangover when you put a, a piece of art. It's like you have had sex with someone you shouldn't be have, having sex with, and you have to like the next morning you have to be like, oh my god, this is already. <laughs> It's really interesting though. So I'm dyslexic, so I didn't notice any typos. Well, I'm my, dyslexic. And my brain just changed it to what it, what I thought yeah. they were meaning. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is with poetry, there's very specific things like grammar rules. Yeah. And like, if you're making a choice within a poem, you've got to stick with it. And like all of these things I had to teach myself, like things that I didn't know, like from, I just had to read. And like dyslexic, you, you talk, Louise, about um, how you are always you know, when you're writing, you're always self-editing and you're always thinking you're a failure. Like, I don't know, like, I think my dyslexia has definitely, definitely been involved in how much I feel stupid when I write. Snap. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a dumb bitch. Yeah. I am a oh dumb God. bitch. Yes. And I know I'm not dumb. Yep. Like, I actually know I'm, I'm actually very emotionally intelligent, but like, I'm still a dumb bitch. Yeah. <laughs> And like, there's things that I, I like. I couldn't write scientist last night in the pub quiz. I was like, how the fuck do you write scientist? If I'm remotely <laughs> tired, fuck me. Like yeah. there and there goes. And I'm yeah. like, Elaine, you're forty fucking two, <laughs> and you can't write there and there. Like seriously, effect, effect, oh, affect, effect, <laughs> effect. Fuck me. It's over me. Also, cough and tongue. Why? Why? When I was a kid, that was a killer. Like coughing, cough, and cough. Tongue. They are they hard. Like, cough. Those are stupid like, words. Let's talk about dyslexia as a word. <laughs> yeah, dyslexia, <laughs> get that word in the dyslexia bed. as a word for dyslexia. I'm getting, I'm getting tested for ADHD as well, um, and like the amount of forms they send you out and we're getting fucking notifications every week being like you've not filled out your forms I'm like I think I have ADHD I'm not gonna fill out the form also being dyslexic literally bullying me also being dyslexic I can't do forms I hate it it's like official bullying yeah <laughs> government sanctioned bullying like this is not okay oh yes. but like my dyslexia I think I, I think it as like and I know people say this all the time like I think it actually makes my brain work in a kind of amazing way and like I always come at things from really different angles and people are like what the fuck that's crazy and I'm like yeah but like I think that that actually sets me apart and when I teach in schools and I teach poetry there's always one that one child that goes I'm dyslexic so I can't do it and I go I'm dyslexic and I wrote a book 
Yeah. And then they go, oh, and then you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't find out I had dyslexia at school. So glad because if I, if I would have been that child and been like, I'm not doing it because I, I'm lazy <laughs> and love an excuse. I but, did find out when I was at school and I have to say my school had... And it like it just just happened to have this amazing teacher who created this amazing learning support unit, which was what it was called at the time. He's no longer with us, but he made us believe that we saw things differently, but that is an incredible thing and in how lucky oh. we were and actually made us believe that we could do anything. I love that. Um, because I was, and I still have that moment of, I'm such a fucking stupid bitch. Like, why am I so stupid? And when I know I'm not, like I know, like I, the, the logical part of my brain's like, you're absolutely not, like stop it. Yeah. But that part of you from being a kid and like, I was really fucking smart. I had from spelling tests and everything for a whole year in primary four. I managed to like avoid it. I think that teacher might have been drunk though, so it's fine. <laughs> but, the, the, but the, you know, going back to talking about cleaners, can we talk about teachers? Oh yeah. God. Because teachers like, they have so, talk about power mm -hmm. talk about let's talk about power let's talk about abuse of power and let's talk about the actual like fact that they are the ones that are amazing yeah have such an amazing i don't even know how to explain it but that teacher that it told profound, you that profound effect on my, profound. my total profound effect on my life and my sister's also dyslexic and she says the same like she went to uni and she was like i would never have believed that grown up and and I, it does actually break my heart a little bit that he's no longer with us because as an adult I would really like to be able to say to him thank you thank yeah yeah oh god I, oh, oh yeah but oh. do you know what do you know what he will have known uh yeah, yeah I think he, he totally will did. have known because yeah. if he believed like in that he will have been able yeah. to see the effects because like when I'm teaching if I see somebody change just within a sec you can see someone change within an hour yeah it's so true and see some people haven't even been asked their opinion yeah like yeah. ever children I know and like to be told that you are valuable yeah some children have never been told that and I think that teachers are the complete foundation and librarians love librarians love as librarians. well in the schools yeah. making those safe spaces um but I think that you know, as we're wa watching the teachers strike down south, because uh, the teachers got their money up they, here, didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, um, the Scottish government have actually managed to avert the strikes, obviously with the nurses, and then sort the stuff. Um, it's probably because they were taking money from their own donations. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, we're happy to see it go to the teachers. But what I was going to say is that, like... <laughs> the like the, the For me, like, you know, you're talking about, like, the community practice they never get held up they never get so it's interesting when you know when i get to do all the glitz and glam stuff but actually the things that have probably had the best and biggest effect and that will leave their mark are the things that are we don't talk about on the podcast yeah. or the things that we there's just a very small amount of people that i don't put it on social media like all this stuff like like teaching for me and workshopping and all that stuff is it's not a side hustle it is in order for me to receive the creative goodness that I get I need to create space for other people and I think you guys know that because this is what you do like it's an exchange you can't just take 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 you've got to make space because the thing is is that the people that came before us made space for us and like we just got to keep passing that on and I think that that is something that 
we need to just like really celebrate and be mm. like, oh, I saw you did that workshop in the school. How did that go? You know, like yeah. stuff like that, because actually I think a lot of people see, especially poets, I think, see their job is to be a poet. And then they're like, oh, but I need to make money. So I need to do workshops. And it's actually like, no, 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 no. Like making space and interacting with uh, other people's writing, not only betters your writing, but also it's just fucking good juju for your creativity. A hundred percent. Yep. Leila Josephine, we could continue to talk to you for literally hours. I'm literally bursting for a piss. Um, I'm not going to piss in Chris's studio. No, don't. Or on Louise's beautiful (laughs) teal covered chair. Um, We do have one final question. Oh, yeah. Which is the persistent and nasty question. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So. Layla Josephine, all the yeah, way through. I made, it, I, made yes. it, I made it all the way through, almost. Yeah. Um, Layla Josephine, what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you? I should. I knew you were going to ask me this, and I didn't <laughs> think of an answer. Persistence is key. Show up for yourself every day. And the nasty part is about just knowing what you want and not doing anything to stop you getting it. Does, that seems like probably everyone said the same. Oh my God, did I just define it again? <laughs> I just defined what the title of your show was, didn't I? But that's gorgeous. That's Is that what you want? That's, that's yeah. what I think like in terms of writing, it's about do uh, do like turn up at your page to fail. Mm-hmm. Like no matter, even if you're like, even if you're getting it wrong, even if you feel like it ready, even if it's cringe, like turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up. And then the nasty part, (laughs) the nasty part, I think, is about like do the thing that is the scariest, I think, a little bit. And also really key to any good writing is like torture your main character (laughs) to get them to change. So you can be nasty to your main character. That's really good advice. Well, Leila, thank you so much for joining Louise and I today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been amazing. And Sorry, joy. I was just like, Leila, I, just I had totally something so, to do. Like, I just like concentrate. I'm like, concentrating like, on my life. I'm like, she's, not, <laughs> she's just tuned it. Tuned it. I love it. Um, You're like, I'm like, next Diet Coke, when I'm going to get it. <laughs> um, obviously, for everybody, I will uh, leave all the details on how you can get Layla's uh, poetry book in the show notes of today's episode. Layla is AF, the social media, so you'll not be getting those deets. <laughs> oh my God, thank you so much. Because I was thinking when I was walking to the car, I was like, oh, I might not be able to share the podcast. And then I was like, oh, I'll definitely do it. And now you've just, you just, that's so nice. But I will share it when I'm back on. I'm not going off it forever. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just ruining the, I, I need to, I need, we need to stop recording because I am now <laughs> close to pissing on the seat. Okay, okay. okay. Um, thank you very much, Layla. And until next time, lovely listeners, stay, stay nasty. nasty. That one was amazing.